Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God does things that we just do not understand, but we have to trust that He knows what He's doing, that He is God alone who is wise. There's nothing God does that's a mistake. There's nothing that He does that He could have done a different way or a better way. You see, faith in the Scripture would tell us that Essentially, God does everything the best way all the time. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapters 45 through 48 in a message titled, The Reunion of Joseph and Jacob. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We left off with Joseph having finally revealed his true identity to his brothers. And that was a very terrifying moment for them, as you can imagine. And so Joseph then sought to calm their fears, the fear that he might retaliate against them for their evil treatment of him in selling him uh, as they had done those many years ago, selling him into slavery. So picking up in verse five, Joseph is speaking to them. He said, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Then I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you, so you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here." Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. So this reunion, this this reconciliation is there occurring. And Joseph is now sending them back to inform Jacob of Joseph's glory in Egypt. Now, 
He, he's going to say to them in a few moments, he's going to say to them, now, as you're going back, don't get troubled by all of this. Now, remember, they're going to have to go back, and ultimately, they know that Jacob is going to discover their, their dastardly deed. Ultimately, he is going to find out what did happen to Joseph, for sure. And so all of this could have been very, very troubling to them. But Joseph is, he's just encouraging them all the way and reminding them that, that God was in control. So now the report, verse 16, of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this, take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, your wives, your father, and come also do not be concerned about your goods for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave all of them to each man changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed and he said to them, here it is, see that you do not become troubled along the way. So just again, encouraging them. Then they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father, and they told him saying, Joseph is still alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. Now, 23 years have passed since Jacob sent Joseph out to tend to his brothers and then never saw him again. And we remember, you know, reading through the account and, and the grief that, that Jacob experienced and the deep sorrow that, that really remained with him all the way up until this moment. And now 23 years later, he receives word that Joseph is still alive. Not only is he still alive, but he is the governor over all the land of Egypt. You can understand why Jacob's heart stood still. This would be news that would just be, you know, too good to be true. Could this even be a possibility? But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. So the evidence was there. He might have had a hard time believing these guys had they just said, well, Joseph is alive in Egypt. But Joseph wisely had sent all of these supplies and all of these goods to him to, you know, really just affirm the word of his brothers. And so 
we read here that the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And, and it would seem that at this very moment, all of those years of grief, all of those years of sorrow, that heaviness that had rested upon Jacob since Joseph had died, as far as he knew, that all of that lifted from him in a moment. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Now remember, Beersheba was the place where Isaac did reside, and it was the place where Isaac had himself worshiped the Lord. So on his way toward Egypt, he comes to Beersheba, and he offers sacrifices. And verse 2, then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt. I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. So now God is confirming to Jacob that he is indeed to go to Egypt. And notice what he said. He said, because it's there that I will make a great nation of you. And as we're going to see as we go on in the story, Jacob arrives in Egypt with between 70 and 75 people. And yet, when Moses later will lead the children of Israel, some 400 years later, when he will lead them out of Egypt, the men, 20 years old and above, number at 603,550. So the the estimation with, with just that many men would be that the people had grown to a population of probably above 2 million in that uh, 400-year period. So it would be in Egypt that the nation would be formed. Now, you know, it's interesting to me. Of course, God knew the whole time that Joseph wasn't dead. God knew the whole time that he had planned to send Joseph ahead to save the family from the famine. And here the Lord affirms that Joseph is indeed alive. He says, and Joseph shall put his hand on your eyes. And that's probably a reference to Joseph would, would be there with Jacob on his deathbed. When he passed away, Joseph would be the one to to lay his hand upon his eyes and close his eyes. But the thing that's interesting to me is how, of course, the Lord knew all of these things, but he kept them hidden from Jacob all of these years. And he allowed Jacob all of these years to think that Joseph was actually dead and to go through all of the the grief that accompanied that and all of the the emotional struggle. And, you know, it just, 
it kind of just shows us that God's ways are oftentimes mysterious. You know, when people ask the question, as Pastor Chuck has said so many times, when people ask, well, why did God do this? You know, we don't know. We don't know why God does things the way he does them a lot of the times. And one of the great mistakes in life is to try to sit around and figure it out. Because if you try to sit around and figure it out, you'll get yourself into a deep depression because you just won't be able to figure it out. And a lot of times, you know, these kinds of things, they don't make that much sense to us on this side, do they? Well, Lord, you know, it would have been so much better for Jacob if you had just whispered in his ear at some point and said, hey, don't worry about it. Joseph's actually alive and I've got a great plan. I'm working it out and you're gonna see him again. But he didn't do that. And again, that's sort of, you know, a few weeks back I was talking about how sometimes we get that that misconception about the Lord. We think of him in sort of magical terms. We think of him as just sort of waving a wand and and everything is, you know, solved. And, And yet we realize as we live through life and as we study the scriptures, we realize that a lot of times God does things that we just do not understand. But we have to trust that he knows what he's doing. That he is, as Paul would say, God alone who is wise. There's nothing God does that's a mistake. There's nothing that he does that he could have done a different way or a better way. You see, faith in the scripture would tell us that essentially God does everything the best way all the time. And that's what we have confidence in. That's what we trust in. There's not even the remotest possibility that anything the Lord would do would be in some way the wrong way to do it. So, I don't know why the Lord did it this way with Jacob, but it was obviously the right thing. Because God wasn't only working to save the family in the, in the general sense, He wasn't only doing something in the life of Joseph on a personal level, but he was obviously doing something in the life of Jacob as well. And all of those things that he went through were were necessary things to build in Jacob that deeper godly character that no doubt God was building in him. And so verse five, Jacob arose from Beersheba. And the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock, their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt." Verse 8, now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. So from verse 9 on through verse 25, we have a listing of of not only the the names of the sons, the, the 12 sons, but we also have a listing of the names of their children as well. And it's not really necessary for us to read through all of those names. So let's just skip over to verse 26 where we're told all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt who came from his body beside Jacob's sons' wives 
were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob, who went to Egypt, were 70. So 70 went to Egypt. Now, some have pointed out a discrepancy here, because when you come to the New Testament, when Stephen is giving his defense before the Sanhedrin, and he's mentioning this very thing, he puts the number at 75 rather than at 70. And some people have said, oh, you see, there's a contradiction in the Bible. There's a mistake right there. Actually, Stephen was quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek version of the scriptures, and the Septuagint had 75 because it included the wives that were not included in the Hebrew text. So ultimately, the number was actually 75 when everybody was all accounted for there. So for the skeptic, they've got really nothing to stand on there. So verse 28, then he sent Judah before him to Joseph. So Jacob sent Judah to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and he went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. You know, like I've said so many times before, I mean, all of the emotion that would have been expressed in these scenes, you know, it just completely escapes us. Well, maybe not totally and completely. Like I said, every time I read it, I start getting all emotional. But, you know, it's one of these things where I think it was last week when I was preparing, I was, as I was studying, I was saying, Lord, it'd be really great if we could get a projector and if we could just, you know, have a visual of this and we could all sit and watch it and weep together. It would just be such a, a tender, uh, an amazing moment. And, and it would indeed have been this, this reunion after 23 years. Jacob says, I'm ready to die. I've seen your face. You're alive. And remember, this was, this was Jacob's favored child. This was his, Joseph and, and Jacob were so close as father and son. There was this deep, deep bond between them. And now this beautiful reconciliation. And then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's house, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. And so it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? That you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth, even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph is actually telling them, look, when you stand before Pharaoh, what you're going to do, I want you to tell him that you're, you're shepherds. I want you to emphasize that. And what Joseph was doing here is he was making sure 
that Jacob's family was going to be in a place that was somewhat isolated, that was somewhat separate from Egypt and probably the, the city portions of Egypt in order to protect them from the spiritual influences of Egypt because the Egyptians didn't want to have close associations with those who were shepherds, so this would play out well in regard to what Joseph was attempting to do here. And then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, my father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and your brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And listen to this. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. You know, look at that, the contrast. Here's Pharaoh, the ruler of the known world at the time. Egypt was the greatest empire in the world at this time. And Pharaoh's the head. And here's Jacob. He's a shepherd. He's this, you know, man with an extended family. Of course, he's the man with all of the promises of God. But the the contrast between Jacob and Pharaoh from the human standpoint Pharaoh, of course, would be the one that everybody would, would have their attention focused on. And the big question would be, who is this? Who is Jacob? Well, of course, he had some notoriety because he was the father of Joseph. But it's interesting that as Jacob comes in, he blesses Pharaoh. And as we're told in the New Testament, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And so Jacob, of course, is the greater. He is God's man. He's the man who is the heir to all of the promises of God. And so Pharaoh said to Jacob, (laughs) I wonder how he said it, how old are you? (laughs) He must have looked, he must have looked fairly old. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years, few and evil, have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. Jacob refers to life here as a pilgrimage. He is referring to himself as a sojourner. In other words, he's speaking of life as temporal. You know, people don't like to do that today, do they? People like to just think that, you know, life is going to go on and on and on. And, and so many people have deceived themselves into thinking that is the case. But it is a pilgrimage. It is a temporary situation.
For the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. Global mental health issues are on the rise. Over a billion people globally are living with anxiety or depression, especially among teens and young adults. Guilt and regret are becoming identity-defining forces. So how can we deal with this mental health crisis in our own lives and be a help in the lives of others? Well, in his book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, Scott Sauls presents a practical theology of suffering that will infuse your regret, hurt, and fear with a hope of gospel-saturated meaning. This book will give you the practical insights needed to find purpose in your own regrets, hurts, and fears. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.